Welcome to this week's instalment of Keeping Track with me, Dave Hackett. My guest today really needs no introduction. I'm honoured to have Katrina Toomey on the show this morning. Katrina is the coordinator of Cork Penny Dinners, which is without a doubt one of, if not the most vital charity organisations in the city and possibly the country. The amazing work that Katrina and her team of volunteers do is well documented and I would encourage anyone who doesn't know about Cork Penny Dinners to do a simple Google search and you will soon realise how crucial their services are. As Keeping Track is a music show, I'd like to use the next hour to get to know Katrina Toomey a little bit better through some of the music that is close to her heart. So let's get stuck in. Katrina Toomey, thank you so much for being my guest today. You're welcome. Great to be here. <laughs> um, Katrina, before we have a chat, would you like to introduce your first song? Okay, my first song is by a singer-songwriter that we all love here in Cork. He's well known throughout the country and further afield. But um, he joins in with us with the High Hopes Choir as well. So for me, the songs that I've chosen for today are songs that have a part of my life as well. They're not just songs I hear on the radio or buy a CD or something like that. So my first one is Listen by Hank Waddell and I suppose that's what I'll be hoping some of you guys out there will be doing. Thank you. Listen to the whisper of moonlight on the water Close your eyes and listen Listen to the singing of a feather on the breeze Close your eyes and listen Father. UCC 98.3 FM. 
that was a Hank Rodell song called Listen and it was performed by Christy Moore and that was picked by my guest this morning Katrina Toomey Katrina Toomey is the coordinator of Cork Penny Dinners and we're going to have a chat about her life and she's going to play some of her favourite Irish artists okay let's go <laughs> let's go let's go let's get stuck in um, I just have a few simple questions to start okay um, I just wondered where you're from in the city and maybe you could tell us a little bit about your family and your early life growing up here okay I'm from a place called Peacock Lane um, it's up near the North Cathedral and um, I grew up there, fabulous neighbours. So in other words, like they go back generations, my great grandmother, I was 14 when she died. So she would have had, you know, neighbours that were her age. So she would have been friends with them. And then my grandmother, then my mother and now us and now our, chil- our children know each other's children. So it is a real generational thing. But we grew up in a, a fabulous place where we, you know, were young, free and innocent and did a lot of sport, did a lot of music, did a lot of dancing. My mother was an Irish dance teacher. So we had to, if I wanted to play sport, I had to learn to Irish dance. <laughs> My father took me to one side one time and he said, if you want to continue with the basketball and the camogie, learn to dance and your mother won't stop you going anywhere so I did so um, but uh, of course I'd, I'd never be as good or as famous as what she was she was absolutely powerful and very beautiful and um, what was your mother's name? oh Breda Breedney Ree and um, she um, she met my father he was a soldier joined the army when he was very very young and um, he became the cook sergeant up in the barracks and was quite happy to stay there because his life was cooking. And then he, with the, you know, my mother and myself, or my mother and himself, my grandmother, they saved up and he bought his first business, which was a takeaway. And then he had some shops and lots of stuff going. So they were able to move on, you know, and build up. But um, they never, um, they were very kind. So I grew up within a very kind hearted family. I used to see my grandmother help people. She would, you know, we lived near a Magdalene laundry and a very quick story is Nana would take you for a walk when you come from school and she'd sit by the the Magdalene laundry. There was a a little bit of a wall and then a big gate and she would put biscuits. There were small little tiny packets of biscuits that, you know, kids got going to school at the time if they were lucky. And she used to put them under the, and she'd say, tie my lace. And I'd look at her, you know, she used to always wear these furry little boots and there were no laces. And uh, I used to say, what's Nana up to? Like, because she never said. And then we'd go home and my dad would come in from work and I'd say, Dad, Nana made us tie her laces again today. And she had no laces in her boots. And he said, did you tie them? I said, I did. Good girl. And that was it. So later... <laughs> I was too young for them to explain to me what the Magdalene laundries were all about. So from a very young age, I was introduced to that kindness. And then my dad would go missing on Christmas Day and we would be waiting to eat our selection boxes, but we weren't allowed until we'd have Christmas dinner. And sometimes that would be five, six o'clock in the evening. And we would be, you know, really upset. Well, I was anyway, I was the eldest and I kind of started it and I was very upset in one year. My brother and my sister, you know, we sat down and I said, we're going to write a letter. And when my dad comes home, we're going to give him this on Christmas Day because we're neglected. We have an awful life from him. (laughs) And he goes missing and no chocolate. So he came in and we gave him the letter. I remember sitting on the stairs with him and he had his hands around us and he read it. And he says, come on, we help your mum. And that was his way of not getting involved 
are not kind of having to explain stuff to me because I was still a child. So he knew that as soon as we would be inside eating like that, all would be forgotten because the selection boxes would be out. But uh, we couldn't even eat them then because when we had the dinner, we were so full that the selection boxes <laughs> were the farthest thing from our mind. But the following year, he got me up early, about three, four o'clock in the morning. And uh, he said, you're coming with me. And I said, where are we going? He said, you'll see. And my dad was a man of, you know, he was always called the quiet man. He was a man of few words and he'd never explain anything to you, but he'd always point out things like, you know, to make you observant and to look. So we went off down anyway and we were inside in this place and there was a lot of soldiers there because I knew some of them and I recognised them and the other people I didn't know, but there was quite a lot of people and they were all doing something. So my dad put me peeling potatoes, peeling carrots. Now, I, I was an 11 or 12 year old child. I was absolutely disgusted on a Christmas morning to be peeling potatoes and peeling carrots. And I was looking at him like with more vengeance, like, you know, where did this father come from all of a sudden? And then he had me putting apple into pies, like, you know, and he was yeah. baking the pies. And then he had me cutting up stuff and doing loads of different things. And I was saying, Dad, I want to go home. And he was saying, when we're finished this. But everything was when we're finished this. And then there was another thing. So then we had to decorate a hall and we were out there and some women were showing me how to make handmade decorations, which I was useless at. So they just had me just wrap a few little things around the place, you know, and, and do stuff like that. But everybody was very nice to me. Of course, I was the only child there too. And then people started to come and um, they were sitting down and there were elderly people. And um, to me, they were just all old people like that were coming and because I was a child and they looked old so they were all old people and they were sitting down and um, the next thing my dad said you have to wait on the tables you know go out there and take this out so I said dad I can't do that because I'm very shy he said you'll be grand just go out so I went out and I was doing it and as I was kind of going along people were looking at me and the word went out like that that's Tom's girl and they were asking are you Tom's girl and I'm saying I am and they were saying will you thank your mum for the lovely presents that we got for Christmas and your your nana and I would say okay and then it struck me that all the things that we were wrapping since September at home in Christmas paper were the presents that were being given out to all the people down there I never knew where all our we used to think they were all our Christmas presents and on Christmas morning we wouldn't have one of them and I would say where are they going and um, so anyway um, this kind of it cheered me up a little bit or else it put something into me where I was feeling beginning to feel relaxed and that was that was it and I just fell in love with what we were doing and going home I was saying Dad can we do this again next week he said it's only Christmas Day and he said uh, I said oh God you know I said do you not do it any other day and he was no and then he said when do you get a selection box I said on Christmas Day so he said you only do that so that was a lesson like yeah. to know that uh, yeah okay yeah. brilliant let's um, yeah. take another tune well uh, one of my you know like all these people that I'm going to call out they're all my favourite 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 songwriters we have Jack Oro coming up next and the song is Nostalgia because for me being here talking about you know my life that's nostalgia but um, Jack is very good to Penny Dinners and he's very good to the High Hope Square as well and um, we're learning Jack's song now Nostalgia and our dream is that we will perform that you know on some beautiful stage with Jack someday Orange 
lights sleep magic against those wispy showers And there you are Averting eyes, big navy sky, a crescent moon flies half-mast Must be the witching hour City's getting smaller The river keeps on lapping And take no beats, keep tapping So get your groove on Let's do the time warp again On Tucky Street, those high flies tweeting Overheating Facebook, 30s fast approaching It's all screens and apps and talking In smoking rooms, they curse their jobs He loved the gun She's skirting round this flirting Looking for the real thing Well, we all are and Grand Parade, I'm disengaged From student mobs are drunken Mudding on Palumba subs And you never darken my door anymore Even if I want you to That was Jack Revork with Nostalgia and that was picked by my guest this morning Katrina Toomey from Penny Dinners uh, Katrina is here to play some of her favourite Irish artists and have a chat about her her good work um, so let's get let's get talking about Penny Dinners Katrina how did you get involved with it? Well my mum and dad you know they had takeaways and stuff so they would always make something for the Penny Dinners and they would pass it down they would do stuff for the Simon community as well when they were in, in John Street. Mm. And my dad would always bring anything that was left over on the night down to the to the Simon community because they would be open late and the guys would be waiting below. So he'd always bring enough for everyone, those that were staying there and those that were helping. And um, that's kind of how I got involved uh, down through the years. I, I could see what they were doing. But of course, I had my own life. And every now and then... I'd have to do a bit of volunteering because they'd say, sure, why don't you take a trip down there and, you know, do something instead of, you know, I might have a morning off, but a morning off to them was, you know, just go and do something. So that's how I got involved. And down through the years, I kept that love of belonging to something. I think from when I learned, you know, as that child that morning like that, 
um, there's nothing wrong with giving. You know, it doesn't do anything to you. Like it doesn't cost you anything to give, and it it doesn't, you know, invade you or do anything. And I I just learned that giving is okay, and it, it can be what you make it as well. So the giving part and what we do, what I do down there, um, is great. I just get on with it. I'm practical. I learned all that from my mum and my dad and my grandmother, and very efficient at what I do because. We would have grown up that way. My dad used to do the choral festivals and he would bring the girls from my class down and they would help wait the tables and they'd all get a few bob like there would be some payment for them at the end of it. But we got more than that because the choirs that performed, in particular the Czech choirs, the Russian choirs, the Polish choirs, they would have been very poor countries and the food they were getting was absolutely amazing and they were so grateful that their best performances went on in the Stardust there in Cork. And um, because... um, Mr. Lucy that owned that used to you know give his place for it and um, they would get up and they would perform to the guys who cooked and to everyone that waited on them and the performances were absolutely amazing and my dad used to always say you'll never get that again like you know so mm. he'd say take it in and, and stuff so we learned a big appreciation I suppose for different types of music and my grandmother's brother Johnny, he was blind and he met his wife in the blind school and they both loved the opera and they used to sing a duet. And when we were small, we I was always fascinated by the fact that the duet was called Genevieve and when they would sing the song, they would look into each other's eyes. And I used to try to figure out, could they see each other? And I said to Nana one day, say, Nan, say, I'm sure, I'm sure uh, Johnny can see Hannah, you know. And she used to say, he feels her. Yeah. You know, and uh, to me that meant nothing, like you know. But it did in later years that you don't have to, you know, you know the ins and outs of everything. You just have to know what you're doing. But for me, being a part of penny dinners, being a part of the people that I work alongside, all the other volunteers, all the people that we meet, the people that come to our door, the people that come to donate to us, the fabulous, ca- yeah, I suppose, camaraderie. But there's a lot of love there as well. We're all, I suppose, privileged to be of service to our fellow human beings. And I keep saying that because something good, you know, that something inside so good, you know, that sort of way that kind of happens to all of us in there. And um, even people that come and spend the time with us and they might be leaving to go to another country when they go away. You know, I used to always say, you found us once, you'll find us again. And it's lovely now with the other volunteers. We had some French students in recently, three young girls who are absolutely amazing. Now I'd have to say all our students that come in to volunteer are amazing. But the girls were crying. They didn't want to leave, you know, and we were crying with them. And, um, you know, I could hear another volunteer just chirped up. Then you found us once. You'll find you'll find (laughs) us again. And they shout, you know, shouted at the chef. uh, He shouted at the chef. How do you say that in French? (laughs) You know, so I suppose for me, being a part of something as beautiful as what I'm part of is is my life. So you've been involved in it so far. From a very young age, and you from, just you've yeah, worked from up a very to a young age. But I, I mean, I didn't do a lot, like you know, yeah. at that time. But about, I think, going back to you know, ninety, just to start at the nineties, ninety one, ninety two, I began to volunteer a bit more, and then I just felt inside that there were people out that needed what we were doing, and they didn't know about us. And we tried to kind of spread it out then because all that used to come to us were men that were classed at the time as just being men that were fond of, um, you know, the drink. And uh, or they might have spent their money gambling and wouldn't go home because they get no dinner off the wife for not bringing home any money. So, so it was for men only? Uh, there was only men came. Okay. You know? 
Yeah. And um, so we, we tried bit by bit to open it up. And sometimes like it would be just um, soup and bread. And sometimes it was just a, a dinner, you know, nothing else like and, um, and a cup of tea. And they were still hungry, you know, and I was conscious of the fact that going home, they wouldn't have anything. So I said, what can we do? So we eventually then kind of, I suppose, cajoled away into, you know, giving soup first and then the main course. And we increased the main course. Then we did dessert, tea and coffee. And we gave everybody sandwiches. We gave them fruit and we built up the bags then for them going away. And we called them those bags now survival bags because the lads used to say, we wouldn't survive without those bags. It was a bag of food that would keep them going through the day and the evening, and then they come back to us then again the following yeah. morning. So just uh, going to fast forward a little bit to maybe the present day. Uh, so Penny Dinners is much more than just a hot meal now. Yeah. Um, can you tell us about your wellness centre and some of the accommodation you provide? Okay, we have a house first, and um, it's nearly four years now since the lads moved into the house. And it, it's a clean house, and we explain to the lads uh, prior to moving in, they volunteered with us. We got to know them. They're, they were all in addiction. They're all in, in recovery now. And we explained to them, like the criteria that we needed for it was that you would attend the meetings. You would do, you know, a couple of hours every week with penny dinners, uh, volunteer above with us, keep the connection, keep that going. And that the house was clean. Mm. No drink, no drugs. And we said to them, lads, we're putting it on the line to you if you relapse. We'd just like you to go and get yourselves well, go to a treatment centre and then come back again because if one relapses, there's five others in the house at risk, so we can't have risk. And we explained it. No, they came up with most of those ideas themselves because they were serious about their recovery. And that's just what we what we kind of stick to. That's the plan. It's a clean house. It's a recovery house and has no place for drink or drugs in it. And did you get that house to... Uh, donations. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, we just bought the house and we renovated it. And it's like penny dinners. We've never had a fundraiser ever. Yeah. Um, but we're thrifty, and uh, <laughs> <laughs> very thrifty. And and we combine what's donated to us. Everything we use in the kitchen, and uh, um, in the sandwiches and stuff like that. We purchase all that because we have to have traceability and stuff like that so and we want to make sure everything is totally fresh but we get a lot of other stuff donated to us then as well you know and um, we, we can put all those into the bags we, we get cakes you know, biscuits chocolates and we just fill the bags so whatever will come in today will head into those bags and so sometimes when they're going out like they nearly need a black bag there's so much stuff there but that's good because we work off the principle that we'd rather they were looking at it than for it because yep. coming to us, they're looking for it. And when they're going away, they're looking at it. And that kind of gives them a small little bit of peace of mind. And we hope it helps them settle down in their heads so that they can deal with the other issues that they have going on. Yeah, I'm going to ask one more question before we have another song. Um, just about the wellness centre. This well, is a new thing as well. There's lots of good work going on here as well. There is, and it's called Crean Lee. I just wanted it to be called Crean Lee, the heart of the Lee, because I do believe Penny Dinners is the heart of the Lee, and this was just an extension of it, and it was something that we could call Crean Lee. So, and um, I went down Monday then, and as a surprise, they had the Katrina Toomey Wellness Centre up there, and I could have killed them for that, like, but they they said, no, 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 everyone was happy to put her up there, so I said, grand. But um, at the centre, it's about providing 
services or supports to people at no charge whatsoever. And we bring in facilitators at no charge whatsoever. And and uh, and even if we had to bring in somebody and that to be paid, we'll always get somebody that'll sponsor that. So it would never be at a cost to us. And people come and they give. I believe when they when the facilitator is there doing their job as well. Um, th- like we have the High Hopes Choir, we have music classes, we've just started an orchestra and we're hoping that more people will get involved because we want people in the High Hopes Choirs, people that, you know, would have been in addiction, they'd have been homeless, they'd have mental health, they'd have a lot of stuff going on in their lives and would have been severely affected by a lot of issues. So the High Hopes Choir is such a success for the people that are in it, like they're they're content, but they they have that support, uh, and it's great to be able to have you know a safety net all the time in place. So with the orchestra, again, we're reaching out through the power of music, and we're trying to reach people that would have wanted to play in an orchestra, but either financially or for whatever was going on in their lives, could have never you know done that. And um, so we're looking for we have a sort of wrap around orchestra. And Brian Murphy is the um, the conductor, and um, he's a well known musician here as well. So it that's all coming together. It'll take time because, like, learning music is a big step. It's not like singing a song, you know. A lot of people ask us in the High Hub Square, "How do you get your harmonies?" And we say, "We all just sing out a key, and that <laughs> one works." A lot of professional <laughs> bands do that as well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Same with the orchestra. And you, you teach people how to cook in that wellness centre as well. We do, yeah. We have a thing, an initi- initiative that we started years ago here with an actus that's called Food for Thought. And students from UCC came, come down and they, um, it's about mental health. Like, And a lot of students kind of would have been presenting with mental health, you know, and things like anxiety and depression and fear and stuff like that. So the food for thought is a brilliant concept. And it's the students come down the first years and the year that would have been before them, the second years would bring them down and keep this rolling out. And they would learn how to cook. So it's practical as well as being supportive. And they would all break up into different groups and we'd have chefs there that were giving up their time, you know, and um, showing them how to cook meals on a budget, what foods is to buy, you know, to buy. And they would, you know, cook up a four-course meal. Then they would sit and eat the four-course meal and then they could get to know each other. And then you'd hear one person introducing another person, you know, to, to, to a society or to something that they're involved with, saying, I'll meet you and we'll go up there. And then we have kind of um, a, a mailing system going on that if anybody needs anything, they contact us and we'll give it discreetly and, and that's it. But um, then they talk about their mental health. And what comes out at the end of it is, you know, we ask them to write a word coming in and we get anxiety, depression, fearfulness, you know, uh, loneliness and all of that. And it just, it's for some students, it's like being fish out of water. It takes longer to fit in. And during that time, they can become lonely and that can manifest itself in different ways as well. So we find this and then we get to like, you know, we've had people that are classical guitarists like that have been part of the group that are singers that are dancers that do stuff so like there's a bit of kind of a social aspect to it then as well you know one night we were in there and we were all doing the salsa the chefs and all like you know <laughs> uh, and just you know that bit of fun yeah. and 
the night that we had this classical guitarist, she just blew the whole place away, you know. There yeah. was a concert that wasn't taking place anywhere in the world, only inside in the Wellness Centre. Yeah, time. brilliant. All right, let's take another tune, Katrina. What have we got next? Okay, next, I suppose, we have Saints and Sinners. And I think that kind of, um, for, for me, Paddy Casey has massive amounts of energy, but he's got a big heart, like, you know, as well. And I think Saints and Sinners kind of maybe sums us up. <laughs> lose it all Well anyone can lose it all And you don't heed your warnings call Well anyone can lose it all Well anyone can make a mess Yeah anyone can make a mess Just take so much and make it less
That was Linda Cullen with Sister and before that you had Saints and Sinners by Paddy Casey and both those songs were picked by my guest this morning Katrina Toomey from Cork Penny Dinners Katrina, I just wanted to ask you something now it might be a bit bit of a loaded question um, so Cork Penny Dinners is tucked away on Little Hanover Street so it's not that visible by passers-by no. and what struck me even though I have I have heard it before was that the demographics of ailing of the service is very, very broad a lot of students, working professionals, people who are homeless and people struggling with addiction. And what I wanted to ask you is, is it hard to see all demographics of society turning up year in, year out, decade after decade? And do you ever feel despair or helpless? Because you must have very little faith in the government. Okay. Um, 
I feel the government are hopeless and I feel I'm helpless because no matter what I say or what I try to do or the message I try to put out there, you know, the government doesn't take any notice of it. We're on the ground and we're all of the same opinion. For example, if we talk about the eviction ban, you know, it, it, it we were... We are very worried about what's going to come out of this now. You have all people like Peter McVerry and Simon and Vincent de Paul. All of them are saying the same thing. We can't all be wrong. We're saying as it is on the ground. And on that front, I feel very helpless because more and more people are coming to us now. But what I'm, what I, why I feel the government is hopeless is you can't remove the eviction ban and they should never have removed it without having a plan in place. And they change things so often and and inflict so much suffering on people by not having a plan, a plan A or a plan B or whatever plan it is. There is nothing in place. So with this eviction ban, people have no place to go. Where did the government expect them to go? And we're not just talking about, you know, one person. We're talking about families here. We're talking about young children. We're talking about elderly people. We're talking about young people starting out their life, whether they're students or just getting married or starting in a job, moving out of home. You know, we have families telling us their children are coming back to live with them because they have no other choice but to go back. So there's a huge housing crisis. It's, you know, the president, I think, called it a tragedy. It's that and it's more. But the people that... It, it impacts the people that it affects are the people that are suffering greatly. We suffer looking at them because the, our hands are tight. There's nothing we can do. We can't magically produce anything for them, but the government can and the government should be. So the government should get backup plans in place for everything. You know, the same happened during COVID. Everybody said that there was a great, that there, there wasn't, you know, there, it wasn't absolutely that great at all because so many people suffered during COVID as well. So, plan you know there's never proper plans in place and i for us we had to adapt in penny dinners as did other charities so instead of allowing people in <clears throat> we had to adapt and we had to you know serve takeaways and then the people that were sleeping on the street were totally isolated and we put the lads from the recovery group on push bikes and we followed in a van and they had the high-vis jackets and twofold purpose was one you know, to feed the people that were out there and give them sleeping bags, etc., changes of clothes, was to check in with them to see if they were safe, if they needed medical assistance or if they needed anything like that. So, you know, the lads, when they were going around themselves, were in total shock by the fact that human beings were just thrown to the side of the road. That was awful and something that I'll never, for you know, forget. But, like, the government have a job to do and it must always be a good job because they're a government but they must protect its people and now all those affected by the eviction ban are not being protected so we have that group of people we have people you know that have been homeless for a very very long time and and they have no uh, chance of getting something fairly soon and then t- t- to get into a B&B or to get into a hostel or a hotel or something like they have to jump through hoops People that are suffering are in enough misery without adding to it. There should be a simpler procedure for them and not drain the last ounce of blood out of them. So I keep on saying the whole time, plan, you know, and a good plan. Don't plan for what you think is okay. Plan for the people that really need this. 
yeah. and take them into consideration. Absolutely. I'm just conscious. So, because um, <clears throat> I will be putting this show up later, so people might listen back to it in six months' time or a year or, or two years or whatever. So um, we're holding this interview on the 14th of April in 2023. Um, there's a housing and homeless homelessness emergency in the country and there has been for many years. So there was a ban on evictions in this country, but the government decided to lift it on the 1st of April this year. Yeah. And so have you seen a direct result of that ban at Penny Dinners? Yes, we have. We have people coming to us now, you know, that um, uh, have told us they've been put out. Apparently, I'm not sure how this works. So a lot of them said that they would have been told prior to the ban being put in place that they would have had to leave their property because the landlords were selling, etc. So when the ban was lifted, they were kind of immediately put out and they've been impacted straight away. So we have quite a lot of people now who have no place to go and um, have to do get a huge amount of paperwork together before... They can be put up any place if they're lucky. But while we talk about those that are coming out because of the eviction ban now, we must never forget those that are on the streets for one year, two year, three year, five years, 10 years, 15 years, and and even longer. And we must remember that in order for them, you know, for to get help, they need proper supports in place as well for them because a lot of them become, I suppose, um, used to life on the street they learn to adapt to life on yeah. the street and it might impact them to drink and drugs as well and and again for how they have to live and sleep on the streets in this wet cold country because that's what it is you know there go away but for the grace of god yeah um let's i have one more question before we have another song um how many dinners do you serve a, a day? We're doing about 1,400 now every day. So that's uh, the main course, the soup and the dessert, tea and coffee. And then we have the survival bags for everybody as well. And some people might come back for another survival bag. You know, they, you know, people have different kind of levels of appetite, like, you know, and, and um, people will just come back and say, will you give me another bag just in case I can't sleep during the night? Yeah, uh, just to get a sense, because 1,400, that sounds like a lot. So just to compare, say, to the, around the Celtic Tiger, was there, is there a massive difference? Yeah, we were doing about 100 a week. 100? 100, 100, 120 in a week. In a week, and you're doing 1,400 a day now? A day now. All right, okay. And growing. Yeah, okay, let's, uh, let's take another tune. Okay, we have, um, we, we were listening to Linda's sisters, and I suppose I should just say Linda Cullen is very, she's in Germany now, and we're waiting for her to come back, but she's, um, happy there. But sisters, she, it's about sisters and about the love families have for each other. So in it, like, in the video of it, like this, photographs of sisters so my two girls are on that so if any of you want to have a look at it you'll see my two darling girls <laughs> but um the the next song is by Roy Buckley and he's a very gifted singer songwriter again he's he's a great balladeer and does a lot of work with Phil Coulter and all over the world but this one the old man on Patrick Street uh, it, it, again it, it's just penny dinners but we have so many young people now on the streets as well that it's so sad like you know okay. and doesn't and will they be old men? Will they grow to be old men on the street? Or will they die? Son and he is there in the rain, all the lines on his face showing his pain. Nothing to live for and nothing to gain. Every day in his life is all just the same for the old man on Patrick Street. Day and night, 
his hands all wrinkled and his hair is snow white A champion fighter one time in his life But nobody cares about old boxing fights He's the old man on Patrick Street That was Roy Buckley with The Old Man on Partick Street and that was picked by my guest this morning, Katrina Toomey. Uh, Katrina, <laughs> we've gone deep. We um, have. We have indeed. Um, I wanted to ask you about Ukraine. You've been there three times in the last year? Yeah, we went um, We went three times and um, I suppose our story is that um, there are a lot of people left in Ukraine that are in a very bad way you know they're they're destitute they're, they're they're impoverished you know and they're really frightened by all that that's going on and they, i i believe they just don't have enough money for to to leave 
the Ukraine, you know, and to get outside their left to their own, you know. And when we when we went in, we saw that like that that amount, that level of poverty as well. So it's kind of way different to what we see here. And uh, we we were struck by that, and we were struck by the fact that um, that uh, when we reached the borders up at Medica and we went to Boryshenka and places like that. But at at Medica, the Polish were just amazing. And to just stand back and look at, at the amount of help, the the support, the love that they gave, the care that they gave to all those people crossing the border, it was absolutely amazing to watch it. And because, you know, you'd hear like Eastern Europeans, like maybe a little colder than us Irish, like, you know, but... What we saw the Polish do was incredible, and it, it, it just spurred us on, like to 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 you know be more part of it, like you know. So we took um in oh in the last trip, I think we took eighty tons of aid with us, and we went to um. And if, so just uh, who is we and how did you get oh over? Yeah. We the first time we went out, we went out um we drove over, and that was fairly difficult, like you know, mother of. <laughs> God almighty, like that was absolute madness. So we went from Cork to Rosslare to um, Cherbourg, then down to Belgium, France, Belgium, Germany, Poland. In a van? Was it just one van or? No, we had five vans. Five vans, Jesus. Yeah, so it was like a convoy and, uh, you know, it was, uh, it was, har- oh, it was tough, like it was gruelling. But we did what we had to do and we visited the train stations where people were sleeping. You know, in Poland we went into big huge shopping malls which are absolutely fantastic and underneath there are, are stations and the people were just sleeping there but they were so well looked after it was so well organised and when they would come off the trains traumatised you know everything was there so we were able to support all the people that were coming in and um, help the people that were helping them there as well and there were all different groups there so we went down to a place called Lejaisk and we negotiated with the redemptionists that we would help them and give them some uh, some aid for to help the people they were helping in the orphanages if they would help us by letting us have our stuff land there and we could sort it and take it to the places. So quite a bit of negotiation went on, but we got there. And then the second time we flew and we rented vans then in Poland because it was faster. We weren't as wrecked and, and we had a plan in place then. So we would just cross over the borders like so I believe the Polish borders and the Ukrainian borders weren't um, well, didn't know what was hitting them when we arrived and the, the the third time then when we were coming back it was so funny because the Polish commander he they brought him in like they couldn't understand why we were taking so much in and we'd no paperwork because we didn't look at the logistics of it at all we just said we're taking in aid like you know we're this is who we are like you know we're and good did you know people. where you were going when you were crossing the border and um <laughs> Do you know, like the first time we went, our phone told us like, welcome to Ukraine. And we were telling our leader, we're in the Ukraine, we have to get out of here. Like we went the wrong way. And we were, no, no, no. We, and we said, yes, all our phones have said welcome to the Ukraine because every country we went to, you know, we got that welcome. So we had to come back out of it. Like in the Polish world outside thinking these people are off their heads. But we kind of endeared ourselves to them. And the commander came down and uh, on our the last time we were there and when we were leaving and he we were after going in taking in our aid and doing all we had to do and we were coming back out and he kind of put myself and one of the drivers into a room and then he was taking the other lads you know uh, through this kind of um, x-ray thing and 
you know, talking, trying to talk to them and find out, like, I'd separate the, these here and find out in Thomas from Lithuania, you see, but he spoke Polish and Russian and other languages. So we were in the room, they wouldn't tell us anything and they had the lads outside and um, the lads were saying, we thought they were going to kill you, like, and we thought we said, no, shit, things like that don't happen there, not the movies at all. But anyway, um, because we had no paperwork and because they were so nice to us and because they were really, really good at what they were doing, like, then we got a fond farewell, like, in... Thomas told Lithuania take the Irish home <laughs> <laughs> and they were all laughing but they clapped us you know ah, they, they did and they were and they were waving at us like and for the border police who are very very serious serious people like for them to do that was absolutely amazing like you know they were they were delighted with us I know so. Cork Penny Dinners like, yeah <laughs> absolutely um Okay, well, I'm, I'm really conscious of the time we have. We don't have much long left. I'm, I know there's one one song you want definitely want to play, but what I want to ask you, um, you strike me as someone that really loves what they do, and I don't think it's probably worked to you at all. But do you ever get a holiday? And you know, I suppose my, my holiday is every day inside in Penny Dinners. It's hard work, but but I'm with good people that lift my spirits, you know, and they keep me going. They're very good to me. If anything is wrong with my family, if anybody is sick, if I'm sick, they have every, like one morning I was in hospital, I'm a diabetic, and uh, I said to the chef, geez, the food, you know, they were giving me very little, like being a diabetic, like, you know, so um, he said, what would you like? I said, oh, I'll give them for an egg. And about 150 eggs were brought over (laughs) on the plate. And he's sneaking past everybody and he's running in, he's Polish, like, and he was saying, I've got your eggs, you know, and uh, that was hilarious. Areas, but um, and then another fellow came over then with um, who was actually one of one of our guys, and we've lost him since Dublin John, and we all love John very much. And John came over to get into the hospital with two bananas, and he was in, uh, put him up, you know. Yeah. I need to see Katrina, and they just, just they left him in, they brought him up, and they knew he wouldn't misbehave, like, and he just sat there, you know, with me for about three hours, you know. And I said, John, you held up. The security staff with two bananas. He said it was worth it. Like you know, he said. <laughs> but he just see. I just wanted to see it for myself. So for me, that was enough for me. Like people appreciate what we do. Uh, but I love and appreciate all the volunteers that I work with. They're they're like my second family. So I'm like that wraparound orchestra. They're my wraparound, like with my family in the yeah, middle of it. I get the sense your family so. are always like, "Man, will you ever go take holiday?" But you know, I did. <laughs> well, do you know what? <laughs> Very quickly. Um, every year my, my family would give me vouchers hairdos for to get the nails done for to get facials spas all those things and I never did them but I've my two youngest are two girls and they would say then to me like come around we'll say February or March mum have you still those vouchers you know so they would take them back and they'd have the facials they and the nails and they'd have all that <laughs> but a couple of years ago I one Christmas morning they all came into the bedroom they were saying that's for you open the envelope I was going to Rome Pack your bags, bloody, bloody, blah, blah. I was going in January, and I looked at them, you know, and uh, they were saying, um, "How, you know, are you happy now with this?" Like, and I was uh, said, "Geez, I nearly had a stroke when I opened it." And a couple, two or three weeks later, I did. <laughs> oh, you had a stroke. <laughs> so no, they know that the the present now is always a trip. This year, I'm going to Lisbon to see Andrea Bocelli, and uh, last year they sent me to Maastricht. But there's seven of them there, like so they have enough money now, like to box in, like and do their family. So yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Okay. All right. Without the stroke. <laughs> yeah. All right. I don't know why we're laughing. <laughs> um, all right. Uh, 
do you want to tell us about your last song? Okay, it's called Nighttime in the Middle of the Road. And my beloved niece, Abby, she passed away when she was 12, but she needed to have an operation in Missouri. And again, like this is where our government kind of, you know, really, really makes me feel, you know, helpless. Um, we had to fundraise for to send Abby to Missouri and it cost 100000 and on this particular day, Donica Cutras, who's a family friend, cycled up Patrick's Hill 150 times, which was very difficult. He started when it was dark, like, and finished late in the evening and was wrecked after it. But there was a beautiful video and all the volunteers from Penny Dinners came down and they held the buckets and they collected and we raised uh, the money. And then all my, my niece, Abby... Um, all her mum's friends, her grandmother's friends, her her, her granddad's friends, uh, her her auntie's friends, everybody, all the family friends. It was like a big community thing, and all the musicians. Finton was there, Linda Cullen was there. They were they were all there. Malcolm was there on the day, and they were all playing music while all of this was going on. And it, it was a great, great, great atmosphere. And the whole video then was put together. And one of our chefs, he's from Afghanistan, he. And he tell you he can't run, but he ran up Patrick's Hill for Abby holding, you know, the sign for the last lap, like going up. Right. <clears throat> and we all pulled Abby up the up Patrick's Hill as well. And um, uh, the video of that was put together and uh, to the tune Nighttime in the Middle of the Road by Fintan Lucy. So for me, that's that's my song. OK, we're going to finish on that Nighttime in the Middle of the Road by Fintan Lucy. Um Katrina, I'm not a religious person, but uh, you really are a saint. Oh. And thank you for coming into the station this morning and thanks for doing everything you do in our city. Thank you. That's lovely.
tune in to Keeping Track every Monday at 1pm on UCC 98.3 FM. Keeping Track is hosted by me, Dave Hackett. I interview people in our community from all different backgrounds and my guests also choose the music that they love. When I'm not hosting an interview, I'll be playing a random selection of alternative music, old and new. Stay up to date with the show on Instagram where I announce upcoming guests and radio documentaries. You can listen back to previous shows on SoundCloud, Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Keeping track every Monday at 1 here on UCC 98.3 FM.